Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masach Psachim, Daf Tzadi, page ninety. Our daf begins and kind of is in the middle of a discussion that continues for quite a bit on this daf, specifically about, well, it's a it's a discussion about whether the money that is used to pay a prostitute can then be used by the prostitute to purchase a carbon Pesach. And of course, the answer is no. But the complication here is, you know, what, first of all, why are we talking about this at all? That's question number one. Question number two, I would say, is that the the caveat, or there's a discussion of in this same daf of whether how far removed does one does the prostitute have to be from the payment, um, presumably for pr- prostitution? We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, from uh, the korban pesach. So, for example, uh, the gemara gives the example that if she's paid and then she takes that same money and she or she's paid with an animal and she sells the animal, she buys now she's got money. She's going to go buy the korban pesach. That's okay, right? Meaning taking it a step further, adding in a middleman or a middle purchase um, kind of removes the taint, let's say, from that, from those funds. So uh, I want to first mention why I, th- so we're not reading so much inside today because uh, I think that the the questions off the daf are just as gripping, I think today, at, or at least in this particular part of the topic. Dan, I know you have more other things to discuss as we move along the daf, but in the in the discussion of the prostitute here, in Hebrew it's called a zona. The prostitute's payment is called etnan zona. Zona etnan meaning uh, from the word latate, right? To give natan etnan zona what she is given. And the trickiest part that I would say in terms of preparing here is that um, in the commentary on the Koran Steintal's Gemara, it identifies the zona not as the literal translation that we would say is prostitute, which is how I've been using it, but that the zona is refers to any woman who participates in one of the uh, prohibited relationships, sexual relationships, as prohibited in the Torah, which what those relationships cannot result in marriage. Marriage, kiddushin, does not um, take effect in those cases. So on the one hand, the idea that a zona might be, uh, might have a, a different kind of implication in terms of what relationships are prohibited here. Well, that's clearly an interesting point. The question I have here is that throughout we're talking about Etnan Zona, we're talking about the money that she is paid. And in terms of illicit sexual relations, which include things like, you know, incest and so on, the phenomenon of payment is a little bit puzzling. I don't have a good explanation why the halachic definition of a zona being this exact thing of being the illicit sexual relations, I'm not sure why that would be employed here given this context. And I I am on the prowl to try to get an answer for this. Um, I, we can add this into the notes or something uh, if I get one in a timely way. Uh, or if any of you have any great insight, please do let us know. Why are we talking about, let's say, a zona in the... I would say, again, in the question of the prostitute or even in the context of any of the illicit sexual relations, my first point I would like to make is that this is following pretty closely on the heels of the discussion of Hosea and Hosea's marriage to the woman who is a prostitute in her own right. And 
I think that literarily the Gemara's discussion of Hosea has to provoke the question of, well, what could, what would happen in that case? What would happen in the case of a zona? And then I think that there is more to it in terms of uh, how how are we representing the different um, uh, by the people who have purchase power, let's say, in the context of a Korban Pesach, you know, how far reaching is that, right? There are certainly wealthy people and there are poor people. The idea that the money itself could have a taint associated with it, that it's a, a problematic funding where it's not as like embezzlement or theft or something like that, which is an obvious issue, you know, in terms of mitzvot not falling under, um, you know, not, I don't know, if there's theft and you use that money to, to buy something that's a mitzvah is a problem. We talk about this in sukkah all the time, lulav hagazul, right? There, the idea that you have done something illicit to get that money, but usually that's about the money itself. It's not about some act that's illicit. It's about the getting the the way you obtain the funds is illicit. So it becomes, I think, your Dana, you put this well, the lowest common denominator in terms of how low can you go for what, um, where that funding is coming from, and and whether it will work in the purchase power of the carbon pesach. And lastly, I just want to mention that the from the top of our Gemara, it actually connects this case of the Zona with the previous Mishnah that we read yesterday, the last of the three Mishnahs that we read yesterday, which discusses somebody who shows up to his Korban Pesach with a plus one who is not invited. And he's going to share of his own Korban Pesach with that person. And what about the group? And the group doesn't, for whatever reason, and we're not told whatever reason, the group does not want to share with the plus one. And this Gemara, Ardaf today says, aha, that plus one was a Zona. And if that's the case, then we can understand perhaps why there's an intuitive, you know, uh, kind of removal of the group from that same person saying, you know, you want to feed her, go ahead. That's up to you. You take it from your portion and you share it with her as opposed to don't take it from the rest of the group who, you know, had registered knowing that we were all part of the same group. So, okay. So this is all, I would say, the, the backdrop of what gets us to the discussion of a, of a zona on the staff to begin with. And I think the one final thing I want to make as an important point is, of course, that the Gemara doesn't talk about um, Kate. Well, as I said, the Gemara doesn't talk about cases that doesn't ha- that don't happen. That's, of course, not true, because we have any number of cases that are presented as theoretical constructs. And for all I know, this really could have been a theoretical construct, that there was no such thing as a situation of a prostitute who came to participate in the Korban Pesach with the Etnan Zona and so on. But what is clear to me from this whole discussion is that there is certainly a phenomenon of the Zona, right? It's not, whether or not the Korban Pesach case is an extrapolation or a probing of the boundaries is one thing. There would be no such discussion if there were no such phenomenon as a zona, again, presumably in this case, I would say prostitution. But even to say that this is a matter of the illicit relationships having, you know, been carried out, there's certainly a recognition that there was some measure of sexual impropriety that was part of part of the scenario, part of the society. Uh, it's not complimentary. It's not saying this is fine. It's saying that this is. I think the point you made about sort of connecting this up to Hosea is really interesting. It totally passed me. And when we were prepping this and you were like, oh, it's like Hosea. 
Um, but this person or this character of who the Zona is, I, I don't. I need to see where else this is going to appear in the next six years. Um, well, it's amazing. <laughs> I don't even have to say seven anymore. It's six. Um, I, right. I I was struck by this as it was like the lowest of the low. Like, who are you as a person that the way you would pay somebody or pay a prostitute is through a piece of your korban pesach? But on the other hand, it's sort of, and I hope people can hear this, it expressed to me a little bit the piece of like, everyone did the Korban Pesach. It didn't make a difference who you were in society. Everyone had to participate in this and everybody wanted to participate in it. Right. The funds that are used, whether to pay the Zona or alternatively her participation in the Korban Pesach, that is, you know, put under the, under the microscope here. But the phenomenon of her participation at all is taken as a given. Right. And uh, look, I'm sure I really want to hear from, you know, our co-learners on this. And if anyone else has other insights, it's certainly a bizarre. And I think that's putting it nicely. Piece of Gemara. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm curious to see if anything similar to this comes up anywhere else. But I think at least from a, you know, relating it back to O'Shea provides me some comfort with it being on the page. Um, I'm going to move on now. And, you know, there's a whole discussion here exactly about, you know, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's opinion and what Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi feels you can do with the actual, um, you know, Korban Pesach itself, right? Can you use money that you get from it for other needs? And so I just want to read through here a little bit what the thinking is here and how it relates into everything about the Korban Pesach and the night of Pesach itself. My Rabbi, so what is the opinion of Rabbi, right? Ditanya. So we learn in Abraisa, right? If the house is too small for a lamp, right? In other words, the the this is a pasuk basically from Shmot Paragibet Pasuk Bet, um, which is basically saying that if the household is too small for a lamp, then the person and his neighbor who's near his house should get together. You know, in other words, that you should be uh eating uh together so that you have enough people to eat the entire lamb, right? So then the Gemara goes on to say, right, a person could be sustained from this lamb, right? So he can sell it, right? Because then he, you know, could buy the things that he needs to eat for the lamb, but he can't sell it or make money of it, you know, for other types of purchases. Rabbi Omer, right? Rabbi, Rabbi says, no, he could even can use that lamb if he gets money for it. Uh, for other purchases. Shim ain't low, right? Let's say he doesn't have enough of something, right? Some type of personal need. He can register other people for his Pesach and his Chagiga offering. And with that money that comes into him, it's Hulin. And therefore, they're allowed to use it for whatever he wants. Because it was on these terms that Jews consecrated their Pesach offerings. In other words, that built into this idea of the Korban Pesach being particularly very social, right? The idea that everybody from the prostitute to the man using the prostitute, everybody is participating in this particular mitzvah. You know, there's always sort of this portrayal of how unifying this was. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi is bringing an element into it, which is that there's an economic piece to it as well. And that economic piece is, is that these were the terms with which people consecrated a Pesach. So in other words, I was lucky enough to have a korban, right? I could, it was a free market for me to go out and see who else wanted to participate with me. 
and I could get some money this way. So to me, this sort of spun the whole thing of how social the Korban Pesach was. It wasn't just creating social cohesion, but there's an economy behind it as well. And then now they get into a disagreement with the Amorayim here, right? Rabbi and Rabbi Zera, they have a disagreement. Chad Amar right? That somebody could buy, uh, you know, wood that they needed to roast their Korban Pesach. Kule Nobody would disagree with that. Because once, you know, since you need that to prepare for your Pesach, it's like the Pesach itself, right? You can't have a Korban Pesach without the wood that you need it to roast it. Uh, but what are they disagreeing about? What What are the rabbis and Rebbe really disagreeing about? That's what Rabba and Rabbi Zera are having a machlokas over, right? Rabbanans, the matzah ubamaro, the issue of matzah ubamaro. Rabbanans, right? That you could use the, the money that you got for your Korban Pesach, right? To buy matzah amara because it's all part of the act of eating. For Rabbi Savar came into Hachshiru B'de Pesachu, anything that renders the Pesach fit for eating, Kagufa de Pesach Dami, it's going to be like the Pesach itself, right? And then the Gemara goes on to go on. V'chad Amar, the other one would say, B'matzah Amara Nami, even with the case of matzah amara, Kule Amalofliki, nobody would disagree. Everybody would agree you could use that money to buy matzah or marah. Because the Pasuk says, right? We know it says you have to eat the Korban Pesach with matzah or and marah. And since these foods allow, make the eating of the Pesach the way it needs to be eaten, it's also like the Korban Pesach. What do they disagree about? Let's say you needed the money to buy a shirt or to buy like a new piece of clothing, something that has nothing to do with the Pesach offering, but just something that you needed. Right, right? So the rabbi is using this pasuk of mihiyot misa, right? That it has to be for the being of the lamb, right? means that it has to be something that sustains the land. It means it had lamb. It has to be something that's used for the lamb, that's used for the korban pesach itself. For Rabbi Savar, but Rabbi Huda would Rabbi Huda Nasi would say, you can sustain yourself from the land. And so what I also take out of this whole thing, the economy pieces, is to me, this was kind of, and maybe I'm stretching too far in, I wonder what you'll think of this. It's almost acknowledging like the cost of, 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 of giving the Korban Pesach. Like I think we always have a lot of discussion around in modern day. It's expensive to be Jewish, right? Day school tuition, keeping kosher is expensive. Very often, many of us feel limited into where we could live. Um, you know, we want to live in a particular type of Jewish community or things like that. And sort of seeing the economy piece to this, that like, yes, the Korban Pesach was something that could sort of be bought and sold and traded and you could get money for it and use it for your needs. And Rabbi Huda Hanasi, who remember was very wealthy, sort of having this perspective of like, no, let somebody use the money for what they need to use it for. It can just be economic. Um, I just thought was so interesting. I, I, I need to think about it more. But there's something, uh, it's a really unique approach to keeping mitzvot and to particularly how the Korban Pesach, you know, not, again, not just being a mitzvah of keeping a cohesive society, but also that it played an economic role as well. So I, I think that everything you're outlining here is tremendous food for thought. I think the idea that, you know, we... we too often or so often or so easily uh, separate 
let's call it the religious or spiritual life, whatever, mitzvot from the temporal, physical, economic situation. And the fact that this becomes a, a I mean, obviously there are mitzvot that combine them, right? Sadaq or whatever. But I'm saying in terms of, you know, you're coming to do your ritual mitzvot, the idea that there's a, a whole backdrop of the economics, I think, is not something we usually think about. And I think that the picture that you've just described does a really uh, very holistic picture, I think, of what's going on here. And I think that there's a lot to it. I also want to think about it further because I hadn't so much thought about it until right now. Pardon me. I suppose I should have. But I, I think that there's that the Korban Pesach becomes this identifying mitzvah, right? This is how we participate in the Jewish community. It's how we, the single mitzvah that brings all the Jews together as long as you're not, you know, impure. And then there's Pesach Sheni, right? So the identity here of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and so on, which is manifest in participating in the Korban Pesach as part of this whole economics story, I feel it makes it even that much more real. And of course, it's particularly interesting in the backdrop of Chazal, who are not bringing the Korban Pesach, and yet are giving the, us this lens. Yeah, that, that I would agree with too, right? It's interesting the way, right, it's not just a spiritual practice for them. Uh, they really recognize um, a lot of the social and economic pieces that are involved with this. So I guess we're leaving our learners with two questions. What do you do with this passage about the zona at the beginning? And how do you understand you know, the economic piece that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi sort of draws out here. So with that, we'll conclude. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 